Now we're making our way back to our seats. And open, if you would, to Galatians chapter 3, and we'll keep studying these verses this morning, the, the blessed Word of God. Uh, as you're seated, uh, you may have recognized a little black folder at the end of your row. Um, we'd like for everyone uh, to take a look at that folder. Inside is uh, some information that we'd like from you so that we can get more information out to you about our church, about our church family and things that are happening here, things that are going on. So please fill out some contact information there if we don't have it. If you're not getting the emails, and there are not that many, but they're so well put together and informative and I'm grateful to get them. So if you would, please fill out the top portion. And then since you have it open and you're filling out the top portion, please fill out the bottom portion uh, so that we can pray for you. We'd love to know how we can pray alongside you and what you're praying for, um, what you're praising God for. We want to know that too. So uh, just uh, pass that folder down the aisle after you have done one or both of those things. Uh, on that form. Tear it off, and there's a box on the information counter. I even remembered to say that part this time. Uh, tear off that, that prayer sheet or that uh, information sheet. Put it in the box on the information counter, and, uh, and we'll try not to lose it. No, we'll, uh, we'll keep track of it, and we'll pray with you. Also, this is Backpacks of Hope uh, Sunday, uh, where we have a collection. There's a bin out uh, next to the pole right outside these middle doors. Uh, so if you brought something for that, thank you. Uh, it's such, uh, such a blessing of a ministry. I'm, our family, uh, as many of you know, foster children, and we've had children come into our home with those backpacks um, given to them from the Department of Child Safety with a Bible in them, um, with a toothbrush, with toothpaste, with clothing, diapers, uh, s- the things that they need for about the first 24 hours that often they don't come with. Um, so when they get to a home that, that wants to care for them, uh, they have some, some ways to care for them, including a Bible, and that's given to them by DCS. And that's because of the ministry that you all are a part of praying for and giving to. So thank you very much um, for that. It's, it's a huge uh, blessing. And, and we are um, willing to take things uh, all throughout the year, but one Sunday, I think it's a, one Sunday a month, we, we make a special uh, announcement. These are the things. So that was announced last week. If you brought something, that's where it is, and thank you. Now, Galatians 3, verses 10 through 14. Let's read together the Word of God. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Father God, what a promise, what a blessing to us, Father, to hear the good news of blessing from you rather than curse. Lord God, I pray that we would hear the curse, that we would understand the curse of the law, our sin upon us, God, but that we would be redeemed by Christ. 
Lord, for each person in here and each person who hears afterward or, or remotely from home, Father God, I pray that your spirit would work in our minds and hearts to hear your truth, to hear your word, the good news of blessing in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Well, last week we started talking just about how much information is all around us all the time and how it's hard to decipher so many times what's true, what should be accepted or believed or acted on. And part of the challenge is that information comes to us so quickly that there's often not even time to check the information, to find out if it's true before it's released and before we start acting on it. Have you heard of preliminary information? Have you heard that term before? Preliminary means something that comes before, and information is facts, the the data, right? So preliminary information are facts and data that comes before the full data, (laughs) the full information. So what we're saying with preliminary information is this may or may not be right, but here you go, you can have this information, and that can be uh, dangerous, Sometimes we, we saw the, an example of that a few weeks ago in Gaza as uh, it was reported with preliminary information that Israel had bombed a hospital. You remember that in the news. And then after some time, well, actually the rest of the information, uh, some of you who are not as young, the rest of the story <laughs> came out. The re- the, not so much preliminary information, but the rest of the information, the rest of the data came out. Israel actually had nothing to do with uh, whatever happened at that hospital. So it can have very real effects on people when we don't have all the information and, and we start acting on that. And some of those are very serious and some aren't as serious. For instance, well, whatever's happening out there right now. Uh, I've been teaching the, the students on Wednesday nights when we hear those sirens, pray for those people responding and pray for the people they're responding to and that God would be glorified. Um, so I'm doing that in my mind as I'm talking and, and Lord willing, our students are too. But broccoli is considered a superfood, isn't it? We've heard that from, from nutritionists, from health quote-unquote experts, for many years, broccoli is very healthy for you. It's packed with vitamins, vitamin C and vitamin K and fiber, and, and it's supposed to help strengthen our immune system and fight off cancer and all of those things. But many studies have actually started to show there are compounds in broccoli that are harmful to our bodies, right? <laughs> Did you know that? Many health, health experts, again, I put in quotations because there are many experts out there, but they warn against eating too much broccoli. See, not having all the information could have endangered us. We might have tried to have some broccoli today. Praise God, we've been spared from that. No. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the scriptures, God gives us all of the information, the full information, all that we need for life and godliness, everything that we need for our existence on this earth as a way to honor Him and glorify Him, it's here, and the way for us to be saved from our sins and to be forgiven and to be glorified with Him in heaven one day. It's all here. We started last week with the bad news in verses 10 through 12, and we looked just at the heavy weight of the truth of the bad news. Paul was anticipating the challenges, the challenges that the Judaizers were going to place against him and his gospel and that they had been leveling against him. They thought they could use the Old Testament. They said, we've got information. 
We've got facts and data from the Old Testament that we can use. They said, the Old Testament says you have to obey the law. Abraham obeyed the law, and that's when he was made perfect, they said. The prophets said obey the law, and that would prevent God's judgment of exile from the land. Moses taught obedience to the law, and that would bring a blessing. And disobedience brings cursing, they would say. And so that's why they've pointed to all of these truths as their arguments, this information. They thought they had iron proof. I can use Bible verses to prove what I'm saying. But Paul anticipated all these challenges because he had heard them all before. He had even said them himself. They'd come out of his own mouth. He'd been trained the same way that these Judaizers had been trained. He knew what they were going to say, and he knew what Old Testament verses they were going to use to misinterpret them, to misapply them, to try to force people to obey regardless of faith or what faith was. So we looked at three passages that are quoted here that show that all of us, not just Gentiles, but all Jews and Gentiles are under the universal curse of sin, that they never completely fulfilled or obeyed the Old Testament law when they, were, uh, when they tried to, no matter how hard they tried, no one ever has. We saw that all of us are included. There is an unlimited inclusion. None of us can be righteous. The only ones righteous are those who live by faith. And because the law is not of faith, we are all unconditionally in captivity on our own, a life consumed with trying to work the works of the law. It's a hopeless, it's a helpless place on our own. And every person is in that place without Jesus Christ. And so that was very, very bad news to learn. It's worse than bad. It's it's the worst news ever, but that's not the end because there's more information here. There's more information from the Old Testament scriptures and more here in the New Testament. So let's look at number two, the good news this morning. The good news in verses 13 and 14. And oh, I just was looking forward to this part so much because it's so hard to talk about that bad news. But praise God, there is hope in Christ alone. There are two truths in the good news. Let's look at first in verse 13 that A, Christ redeemed us from the curse. He redeemed us from the curse. We who were hopelessly trapped, Christ redeemed us. Now, this word redeemed is the word that means purchasing the freedom of a slave. That's the word redeemed. When we talk about redemption, what Jesus did to redeem us from the law, from the curse of the law, from our sin, we were slaves and we had a master. Our master was sin, and it was provoked by Satan. It was provoked by ourselves, and it was provoked by this world. And we were under the curse of the law because we constantly broke God's law. Jesus said in John 8, 34, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That's what we all were. That was us. Enslaved to sin, we were chained, we were held, we were guarded, and we were kept by sin. We were watched. And that's bad, but worse, we didn't even know it. And people around us who don't have the light of our Savior don't even know that they are enslaved to sin and to the elementary principles of the world. Jesus said that there are many who will not find the way to eternal life. Many who will never even know that they are slaves of sin. In Ephesians 4 Verses 17 and 18, it describes people without Christ and His redemption. It says they're walking around in the futility or the emptiness of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, their, their way of thinking, their way of feeling. 
alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. That's a, that's a lot of description about what we were like before Christ, walking around in futility or emptiness, darkened in our understanding, alienated, ignorant, and hard-hearted. We didn't even know it. We didn't feel that. But not only didn't we know it, we couldn't have known it because we learn in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 that the little g, God of this world, it's a reference to Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So we didn't, we didn't know that we were slaves. We didn't know that we were without God and without hope in the world. And, and we couldn't know it because Satan was blinding our eyes keeping us from that truth. But even more tragically, Jesus taught in John 3, in in verses 19 and 20, he says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things, Jesus says, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. So not only did we not know and could we not know, Jesus says, we didn't even want to know. We didn't even want to know because, it, man, the light, that exposes what I do as evil, and, and I don't want to have anything to do with that. We didn't know because we love the darkness. And again, it didn't seem like it. That, that's not what it felt like before we were saved. That's not what it feels like to people around us, that, that they're in slavery to, to sin. It makes us think. Sin makes us think we're in charge of ourselves. That's the great lie of the age in the minds and hearts of the people all around us, and, and we can fall into it too. It's the lie that I define who I am. I define what I am. I'm in charge of me. Or another side to that, I've been told what I am. My illness defines who I am. My trauma defines who I am. My addiction defines who I am. My DNA, my mental illness label, whatever it is, I'm defined by what I decide to be defined by. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me what's right or wrong. I figure it out myself. Men love to feel like they're in charge. Women love to feel like they're in control. And that goes for every area of our lives, doesn't it? And we get anxious when we figure out that we're not really all that much in control of our lives or others. We get angry. We get depressed. We get all kinds of feelings and thoughts. And we'll do whatever it takes to get back to that feeling of being in charge and being in control. That's, that's how we handle these things. You know, and I want to get back to that feeling. And sin gives us that false assurance of being in control and being in charge. All of the time, it's leading us, and it's controlling us and telling us what to do next. Sin is in control of our minds and hearts without Christ, and it's in charge, but we're deceived by it. We think, oh, when I'm sinning, I have freedom. You know, it's more fun to go sin. It's, It's more enjoyable, more satisfying. We think it's more fulfilling of all that we want and all that we need, but it's just a cruel master that owns us and controls us. And it gives us just enough of a thrill to keep us hooked and obeying all that it says. All that we really have the freedom to do in sin is sin more. But Christ, brothers and sisters, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law cursed us as sinners. That's what we were. And God tells us in the law who we are, who we were, and who He is. The law says God is holy and we are sinful and cursed. But Christ redeemed us. None of that 
describes believers. None of that describes us anymore, or it shouldn't. It doesn't have to. But to redeem us, a price needed to be paid. Now, as we've seen before, the only thing that we have to pay that price with is our soul. And so without Christ, our soul will be sent to hell to pay that price forever. That's the wages of sin, that death, eternal death in that place. But God has another plan. And Jesus is the answer because Jesus is the payment. He's the ransom for our redemption. Again, redemption is being purchased out of slavery. The ransom is the actual payment that was made to get us, to release us, and redeem us from slavery. Jesus paid our ransom, and he paid it willingly, voluntarily. What are we ransomed with? What was that payment that Jesus paid to release us? According to 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it's the precious blood of Christ. When the four living creatures around the throne in Revelation 5 cry out in, in praise and worship to the Lamb, to Jesus, they say, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed your people for God. It was the life of Jesus Christ that he gave up to pay for us to be redeemed from the curse of the law. His perfectly righteous life was sacrificed to pay that ransom so that we could be set free from that curse. He said in Mark 10, that's why I've come. He said the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. It was the life of Jesus Christ that he gave up to pay for us to be redeemed from the curse of the law. He gave his life for us, his in our place. He became a curse for us. Now think about that. Jesus becoming a curse? Jesus is not a curse. He's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. He's perfect. He's righteous. Again, uh, this past Wednesday night in student ministries, we had the students start listing things that they know of Jesus. Who is Jesus? And what do you know about Jesus? And we started filling the board with all of the things that you would be so encouraged by our students and what they know of this Messiah, Jesus, who He is. He's truth and he's love. He's, he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the light of the world. Jesus has never been a curse. But he took on the curse of the law and he became the target of the curse that we were. And God treated him like he would have treated us. And that's what Isaiah 53 talks about in verse 11. When it says, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, he's talking about Jesus, Make many to be accounted righteous. What's that called? Justification. And he shall bear their iniquities in our place. In that redemption to free us, it was a substitution. It was in our place. He bore our iniquities and paid with his life to purchase us by his own blood. And when he paid that price, the ransom for our redemption, our debt of sin and the curse that held us there, and that in slavery that was all marked complete, paid in full, Jesus said, it is finished. He did all the work. He did everything to release us, to set us free from the curse of the law and from sin. Now, the curse was pictured very clearly as he, was, as he went to the cross by a crown of thorns. 
You remember the Roman soldiers crafted together a crown of thorns? It was meant to, to mock Jesus. Oh, he's, he's a king? Well, here's a crown for you, a crown made out of thorns. But it was a perfect picture of the curse of the law, the curse of sin, because thorns didn't come about in creation until sin came in. And so Jesus wore this crown of thorns as a picture of the curse that he took on himself to pay the penalty, the the ransom for our redemption. And he did so on a cross, a a wooden cross that was made from a tree, right? That's what wood is. It's made from a tree. But Paul quotes these Old Testament scriptures, the authority that we have to help us understand the importance of Jesus on the cross. When people did deeds punishable by death in the Old Testament, normally they were executed by stoning to death. But when somebody's deeds were particularly egregious, they were, hor- they were worse than even normal, they could be removed from those stones, their dead body hung on a tree and displayed for everybody to see it. As in, don't do whatever he did. <laughs> you don't want to end up like that. It was, it was a warning for people, don't repeat, repeat those sins. But the warning is found in Deuteronomy 21, 23, and it says this, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. So it was a shocking signal, right? I mean, it's a jarring signal for people. Don't do what that person did, but it was only allowed as a one-day sign. And the reason for the one-day limit was the next sentence, you shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. But this is the statement that Paul draws our attention to in that warning. A hanged man is cursed by God. Jesus was hanged on a cross. Now, the big difference was that Jesus wasn't dead when he hung on the cross. He died while hanging on the cross. But as he was on the cross and as he died, he took on himself the curse that was on us. It was on me, our curse. And by the way, if Jesus had remained on the cross overnight, his perfect sacrifice of taking our place and redeeming us, paying his life as a ransom, it would have turned into a defilement in the land. According to what we just read, that you can't leave that body hanging overnight on that cross. It would have been a defilement. But in God's providence, Jesus was crucified just before Passover. And so the religious leaders said, look, we can't have them hanging on the cross all night and hanging over until Passover. Uh, Let's break their legs so they can hurry up and die. But when they got there to break Jesus' legs, they didn't have to. He had already died. And people have thought about that. You know, maybe it was the beatings prior to the crucifixion. Maybe it was the blood loss. Maybe it was that he just had no strength loss. I think probably it was the weight of my sin on him that just crushed him and his broken heart. But he died, and he was removed from the cross that day so that his perfect sacrifice didn't turn into a defilement for the land. But the fact that he was ever hanged on a tree he was on a cross, he was hanged on that tree, made the Jewish people at the time think that Jesus was cursed by God because it says cursed is everyone who was hanged on a tree. They thought he couldn't possibly be the Messiah. This man, Jesus, can't be the Christ. He's cursed by God. Look at him. He he was hung on a tree. But they missed the idea, the point that it was Jesus who was perfect, Jesus who was a blessing, Jesus who was hung on the tree because of our curse. Because of our sin, not because of his own. He brought no shame. He brought no curse or sin with himself, for himself, to the cross. Everything he brought to the cross was ours. And that's why Jesus cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Because to that point, there was perfect fellowship between the Father and the Son. But when he took on our curse, God's eyes that are too holy even to behold sin turned away from his own son because he took on our curse, not because he was cursed. And it's a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, where it says, Surely Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Now, many of us are saying, I don't even know what those words mean. So let's look at those words quickly. Stricken means to be powerfully struck. Smitten means to be severely beaten. And it says smitten by God. God did all of that through man. And afflicted means to be harshly humiliated. He he, he was powerfully struck, severely beaten, and harshly humiliated. But, Isaiah 53 says, he was pierced, which points back to stricken, for our transgressions. He was crushed, which points back to smitten by God, for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, that's discipline, that rebuke that points back to being afflicted, that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All of that was done for us, instead of us, in our place. That's what we deserved. 2 Corinthians 5 explains it like this in verse 21, for our sake, God the Father made God the Son, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place under the curse to purchase us at the ransom cost of his life, his blood. He took on the curse, he took on sin, he paid so that we could be set free. He gave us that perfect righteousness that he earned on this earth. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Brothers and sisters, that's such good news. That's amazing news that the grace of God was poured out on us in that way. We are now set free from our master, the master of sin. We're set free from the curse of the law. What does that mean for us? Well, that means eternally that we get to be in heaven with him forever. But now, temporally, what does that mean? It means, according to 1 Corinthians 6.20, that we've been bought with a price. We are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to ourselves, and we're not set free to do whatever we want. Remember, that's the law of sin. Oh, I've got you. You can do whatever you want, sin tells us, and sin convinces us, and sin makes us want to do the things that it tells us to do. We think we're free, but the truth is that we were held captive under sin. We obeyed it, but now that we've been set free from that evil master, we've been purchased by the all-good, benevolent master God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is love, well, let's not fall for that, that error that we can just become free agents and go wherever and do whatever, whenever we want. We are not our own. And I need to tell you, that's a good thing. If it was up to me to provide for myself, I would have starved a long time ago. If it was up to me to make sure that I held on to Jesus and held on, and, and, and held on fast so that I wouldn't be uh, let go of, I, I would have let go a long time ago. If it's up to me to do anything, I'm going to fail. I already have so often. Just ask my family. (laughs) They know. They see it. But our perfectly good and great God now owns us so we belong to him. (laughs) And he does all things for us. And he's good in all that he does. 
There is nowhere better than to be with him. That leads us to two uh, applications here. Number one, it means that sin is not to be taken lightly. Sin is not to be taken lightly because, remember, sin is what held us captive. It still holds captive the people around us. We can't take this idea of sin lightly. If you, and here's how we can tell. If you sin and you think, well, it's just not that big of a deal. It's just not that important. Right? I don't need to confess and repent whenever I sin. I'm fully justified in what I did, and I can give you all the reasons why, that, you know, that it's okay that I did what I did, or I said what I said, or I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I can give you all the reasons. If we can do that, if we're saying those things, it's okay, it's not that big a deal, we're taking sin too lightly. We're not dealing with it. We're not confessing and repenting like he told us to. Sin must be dealt with. Look what it costs Jesus to pay for our sins. His humility from being God, he never stopped being God, but he became man, limited like us, became a human being and lived on this earth, resisting every temptation, never sinning once, experiencing pain and shame, humiliation, defeat and death. He experienced all of that because of our sin. Jesus has paid for every one of our sins. So we don't, we're taking sin seriously. We're not taking it lightly, but we're not trying to pay for them ourselves, right? The, the sin has been forgiven by Jesus, but it still can get in there and it can break our fellowship, not our relationship with him. Praise God for that. Again, he holds on to us. But our fellowship can be broken and, and sin can bring consequences on this earth. You know, none of us is even with Jesus. None of us can be perfect in this world. We're still gonna mess up. There will be consequences, and God will bring his discipline, but he does it for our good, for his glory. He does it in love. So we've got to acknowledge, we've got to confess and repent when we sin, and God is faithful. He's faithful to do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness when we confess, when we deal with it rightly. This is why we were commanded in in Romans 6, don't let sin reign over you. It has no dominion over us. It's not in charge of us anymore. We've been released and set free. So we don't take it lightly. But number two, it means punishment is not to be feared. Punishment for sin is not to be feared. Believer in Jesus Christ, do you live in constant fear or guilt for sin? Are you constantly fearing God's punishment? You know, God's going to come get me because I messed up. You know, I did this thing over here. I didn't do that thing over there that I was supposed to do. God's going to come get me. (laughs) He's going to punish me. Is, Is your life full of regret and worry because of what's happened in the past, because of what might happen in the future, because of how you might mess up or or how you might say the wrong thing? You brother and sister, we don't fear the punishment of sin. We don't fear that because Jesus has taken on the entirety of God's full wrath for our sin. It's gone. It's done. It's over. We don't fear that anymore. Again, consequences may come in this world for sin. God's discipline will still come, his perfect discipline and love for our good and his glory, but do not fear. Brother, sister, do not live in constant guilt for sin that Jesus has paid for. The punishment has already been paid. His life was already given. The ransom is paid. The redemption is here. We're set free. 
He's already got you. <laughs> Don't worry about how he's going to come get you. He's already got you in Jesus. We're set free so that we're not held captive to sin. We don't have to obey it. We're, not, we're set free so that we will not have to pay the punishment. Jesus already did that. And nothing in this world can do that. There's nothing in this world that can take sin from us and the penalty, the consequences of sin, nothing in this world can do that to us or can help us in that way. Nothing's even remotely close. You think about it in this world, and if you're convicted of a crime, that becomes a record that follows you everywhere you go, doesn't it? Every time you apply for a job, every time you go somewhere and there's an application, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Yes. I've got a record that follows me everywhere I go, right? You can't escape it. But in Jesus, even though all of us are convicted, we're already all of us guilty of sin. God declares us righteous. We're redeemed from the curse of the law, and we have no record anymore. It doesn't follow us anywhere because there isn't one. Our record is expunged, and he gives us the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And listen, when Jesus purchased us with his own blood... Jesus understood all sales were final. <laughs> there's no refunds. There's no exchanges. And it's not like he didn't know what he was doing. When, when he came to redeem sinners, he didn't think, well, there are sinners and then there are sinners. <laughs> and there's worse sinners. We're all sinners. We were all under the curse. And so when Jesus came to redeem us to pay the ransom, he knew what he was getting. Sinners. But he knew that he could change them from inside. He knew that he could come into them and dwell within them and the Holy Spirit would come within them and his truth would come to be with them and they would be changed to be less like sinners. We would be more like Jesus. And he would do that every day. He knew that going in. He said in John 10, 18, no one, about his life, he said, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Now, rest assured, he didn't do that because he thought there was something in us that we have to try to fix, that we have to try to make better, or we have to polish up once in a while so we can remind God, remember, you chose me because I'm this, or because I have that, or because I am. He did it because, not because we were worthy, because we weren't worthy, but he can work in us to please the Father. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. He went further than that. There's more good news. Number two, Christ replaced the curse with a blessing. In verse 14, he replaced the curse. And there are three parts to this. Number one, there's the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham. Now, what is the blessing of Abraham? Now, I appreciate the way the translators have, have given this to us because we don't replace Abraham in the blessing that God gave to him. Some of you are looking at me strange, like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Why would you say that? Well, there are prosperity peddlers out there who teach that we have been given the blessing of Abraham, that God took all the promises and blessings of Abraham and he transferred them to you and to me individually. That in Jesus, we have Abraham's blessings, and that's never been what this means. Here's the blessing that God gave to Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. God says to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who blessed you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now God does not promise to give that blessing, all of that entirety to us. That's not what Paul is saying here. 
Abraham and his, and his offspring did receive those literal promises, and we traced those as we studied Genesis, and they continued through the Old Testament. Abraham's name became great, and he was a blessing. God blessed those who blessed Abraham. He cursed those who dishonored Abraham. All of that was literally fulfilled. It was repeated. It was explained. You know, it came to include physical land and a nation of offspring that came from him. That was all the blessing from God to Abraham that was literally fulfilled in the Old Testament. The blessing that was awaiting literal fulfillment to Abraham was to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. The other promises were for Abraham and his descendants Israel. This promise was a blessing for all other nations. That's what Paul refers to here when he says, so that in Christ Jesus, the descendant of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham might come where? To the Gentiles, to all other nations as God had promised before. So don't fall for the people who try to use Scripture. Look, I've got Scripture. Here are some verses, and we have the blessing of Abraham. Let's go look at what the blessing of Abraham was, and let's claim all of that for ourselves. We've got to be discerning. We've got to be wise. We've got to use the Scriptures the way that God teaches us how to use them. God does not promise to make you and me into a nation and make our name great and and all of the things that He promised to Abraham. But this blessing of Abraham This is better and more wonderful because it's not physical land and and physical offspring and temporary blessings. The blessing of Abraham that comes to us in Christ Jesus is eternal. The Christ who redeemed us from the curse of the law, who saved his people, he saved us from our sins. The Christ who bore our griefs, our sorrows, our transgressions, our iniquities, the one who paid for them all, he saved us from the wrath of God forever. There are so many pieces to our salvation that are blessing. You know, sometimes we think of our salvation as just this package deal. Like, we are saved, and that's, wow, that's a blessing. And it is. But each piece and each part of the gospel and each part of the, of the way that he works in us to save us, the way he's worked around us to save us, all of the things that he's done, each one of those is a blessing. We can't look at every single part. But just think about this short list from the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 says, God chose us in Jesus. Not because we were worthy, again, because we weren't worthy, but he could make us into his children. He adopted us as his children. He loved us. He created us. He sustained us to the the point in our lives where we could hear the gospel so that we could respond. He was patient with us to that point. He gave us faith. He granted us repentance. He responded when we called out to him. He made us alive all over again in regeneration. He declared us righteous. He gave us new life. He gave us himself. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He redeemed us. He paid the ransom for us. He gives us security and assurance. He gave us ears to hear and eyes to see and a mind and heart to believe. He gave us and he gives us hope and peace and joy and holiness and love and he provided the way and he will never leave us or forsake us. Those are just some of the blessings that come to us in the gospel in salvation. And it's such a pathetically small list. I wish I hadn't even mentioned it because there are so many more things that he did and continues to do as blessings to us, the blessings that come to us in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.7 says this, in the coming ages, he will show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. 
in the ages to come, in the eons and eons and eons of time, the millions and billions and trillions of years, it's literally going to take forever for us to finally understand all of the blessings that were part of our salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he turned the curse into an eternal blessing, it's literally going to take forever. How worthy of worship is this God? How worthy of thanksgiving is this God? Not just one time a year, but every day. The one blessing here, though, that Paul calls out is the second part. Number two, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, since we have received the blessing of Abraham in Christ Jesus, it was also for the purpose so that we might receive the promised Spirit. When Jesus was with his disciples before he was arrested and crucified, he promised to send the Spirit. He said, I'm going to leave, but you're not going to be alone. In John 14, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, Jesus said to his disciples, for he dwells with you and will be in you promised that God the Father would send the Holy Spirit to be in his disciples, to be in believers. Later in John 16, Jesus says this in verse 7, nevertheless I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. He promised to send the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit would teach the apostles all things and bring to remembrance all things that Jesus said. That was a specific part of the ministry from the Holy Spirit to the apostles, but the Holy Spirit would come to every believer, and He would fulfill His ministry as Jesus promised. We see how He came to believers in Jesus through Acts, the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament. He comes to us as well. Now, there are many ministries of the, of the Holy Spirit for believers. We can't study all of them, but as we saw in chapter 3, verse 2, the Holy Spirit is received by us as part of the blessing from God in our salvation, the blessing of God Himself dwelling in us. He's not someone we order around and command to act. He's God, but He is with us, and we receive Him because of Jesus' promise. Jesus is as God is, the one who makes promises and the one who keeps his promises. He sent the Holy Spirit to believers. He's sent by the Father and he's sent by the Son, as we read in John 14 and 16. When he comes, he remains with us. He stays with us. He is our helper. He is our comforter. He's our teacher. He's the one who prays for us to the Father, our intercessory prayer. God prays to God for us. The Son does as well. He's our convictor of sin. He's our spiritual gift enabler. He's our guarantee of salvation until Jesus returns for us. There are so many things the Holy Spirit does. We receive Him in Jesus as He was promised. He's given, and He remains with us. <laughs> what a blessing. Blessing upon blessing, God pours out on us, on His people, because of Jesus. But it's important to notice these final words here, last but not least, number three, the manner, the way that this comes about. And you've already seen, we've already read the words, the words that go in those blanks are through faith, through faith. 
How is any of this brought about? So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, he says. Can you make it happen? Can you make the Holy Spirit come to you? Can you command God, send your Holy Spirit to me, God? (laughs) Can you cause it? Can you force it? Can you do it for other people? You know, I've said before, oh, I just wish I could believe for my kids. Or, oh, I wish I could believe for my neighbors. I, I wish I could just believe for somebody else. But it's not my belief that does anything. It didn't do anything for me. It's not what I can do. If it was up to my belief to save somebody, they wouldn't be saved. We walk by faith, the faith that God gives to us to believe and to act, to hear, to believe, to know, and to act. We walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. All of the blessing that God gives, all of the blessings, the parts to our salvation, including our continual growth in faith and in sanctification, it all comes by His grace according to His will through faith, through believing. And we've talked about how that that doesn't mean that we do nothing, that we just sit back and do nothing. But we've talked about the difference between the way that the things that we do look when we're producing them, when we're trying to force them, when we're trying to obey, and what it does in us, and what it looks like just to live and to walk by faith. When I'm walking by faith, when I'm living by faith, my eyes are up, my eyes are on the Lord. My eyes are not down here looking at myself. What am I going to get out of this? When's the blessing going to come for my obedience? What more do I need to do so that I can get? What more do I need to do so that somebody will notice? (laughs) We won't need to look at lists of rules. We won't need to look at what I'm doing and what I'm not doing. Where should I go? What shouldn't I do? What do I need? How far can I go before it's considered sin? How far away from the Lord can I get before it's bad? We'll be running towards the Lord. Our our life will be consumed with coming to Him, looking to Him, loving Him. The works that we do, the words that we say will just arise out of that. Those good works, those good words, that obedience will come about because we love him, not because we're looking at laws and rules and codes. So our final question that we need to consider is what needs to change in our life because of our faith in Christ Jesus? Do you have peace with others? You know, Jesus is the prince of peace. He's the one who brings, he brings peace between us and God, between us and other people. If we're not at peace with other people, well, there's an area in our life where we're relying on the works of the law. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who's against us, is, it's our fault. We do everything we can. As far as it depends on us, we live at peace with other people. When we've done what we can, that's, that's what we can do, right? <laughs> we can't do more than that. But Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, will bring peace between believers and between us and God. Is your life wholly dedicated to the worship of Jesus? And, and, and that's just one example, right? The Prince of Peace. Whether we're at work or at play or at home or in the grocery store, Jesus is God. Do we believe that? And if we believe that, what impact is that going to have on our life? How are our actions going to change because of that? What are our words going to be? Are they going to be the same as they were before? We know these things about Jesus. We can list things on a board about who Jesus is. But do we believe them? Do we act on those? 
How does faith in Jesus change your life? We're, we're redeemed, brother and sister. We're ransomed. We're no longer under the curse of the law. We have been set free. We belong to him. He's given us more than we could ever imagine, including himself and the Holy Spirit. Father God, we praise you, Lord. We exalt the name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for his perfect sacrifice. Lord, for all that you have done, for all that Jesus has done, for all the Holy Spirit has done, God, for in every way that you continue to work, Father, we praise you, we thank you. Lord, because of your truth, because we have all of this information, Father, I pray that it would impact us, Lord, in a way to make us fall to our face before you, God, that we would give up trying to work, that we would give up trying to live a life of guilt or worry because of sin. Father, that we would confess our sins, that we would believe in Jesus Christ, turning away from them, turning to Him in love, in fear, in worship, in thankfulness. God, thank you for this truth. Thank you, Father, for this good news that though we were under the curse, we've been set free. Father, we're free to live for our Savior. God, I pray that you would enable that within each one of us. Lord, we're going to take our eyes off of him at times. Lord, we're not going to love him as we should. Father, I pray that you would give us soft hearts to see that, to know that, Father, to confess that to you, that we would deal with that rightly. God, not out of fear, but out of love out of worship. God, I pray that you would enable each of us to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would sin less and less. But Lord, we would see it and know it more and more and we would be softer toward that and repent and turn away from it faster. That we would admit it and that we'd cling to our Savior in love because God, you hold us and he holds us. God, we are never going to fall because of our Savior. Father, what a blessing so many blessings in this salvation, Father. I pray that those would be brought to our mind, that we would learn and know and remember and live by that, Father, the faith in Jesus Christ, the, the way, the truth, and the life. We praise you for him in his name. Amen.